You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it, turn to Genesis chapter 34 as we start this morning, kids. Uh, Parents, if you want to send your kids on for a special time of teaching with the Bensons here, uh, they're going to take them back and have a a time with them. Uh, We're going to be walking through a very difficult passage, sensitive, explicit uh, in multiple ways. And I'll be using some words uh, and talking about topics that are not fit for them. So I encourage you uh, to send your children on uh, to have this time of teaching. As you turn to Genesis chapter 34, guests, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and I'm honored uh, to do so. Uh, particularly here this morning, as we jump into Genesis chapter 34, we walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say and not what I have to say. And we come to a very difficult passage, one that may cause issues and even uh, reminders for you because of your own uh, experience or family members that you have. But we believe that God's word is good for us. And it is able to heal us and show us exactly the truth of this world, but also the remedy to it. And so we've seen throughout the book of Genesis that Genesis is about God's story of creation to restoration. And this morning, particularly, we find ourselves in the moment when sin is so pervasive, so powerful, and so corrupting that it leads to horrific events in our story. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, what I want you to know is even though our world is deeply broken, the church, the people that God has called to himself have experienced a newness of life, a reality of true goodness in our Lord Jesus. And it's my prayer this morning that you would see both him, our Lord, as a safe place, as we just sang, but also his people are a safe place, even for those hurting from abuse. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those hard black cover Bibles and turn to page 29 to follow along with us. There's a word we've become used to over the last month, uh, Hamas, uh, the terrorist organization who is who is doing horrific things in the Middle East, particularly in Gaza and Israel. But here's the thing. Although we see on the news horrific events that we must not turn our face away from, the Bible also doesn't turn its face away from horrific, sinful events. Our Bible, God's Word, actually speaks to it. It doesn't whitewash it. It talks clearly about sin and horrific sins and abuses and injustices that God is still there. And it's because of sin that which we now find ourselves in Genesis chapter 34. The Bible doesn't shy away from rape, murder, crimes, but speaks to them, particularly to societal sins. It condemns sin and calls the church to rally around those who have been hurt, who have been victimized and abused with care, hope, and compassion. This is why Christ came into the world. It's very easy for us, to, especially in, a, in our in our our time and our place here in America to be shooted away from these kinds of things and praise God for that. But there are, and there are atrocities happening all over the world and they have happened since the time sin entered the world. This is why Christ had to come for us to offer hope out of the brokenness, out of the abuse, out of the power that has been shaped to abuse other people. 
And let's not forget, even though we come to Genesis chapter 34 in the town of Shechem, America in the 21st century is not much different than the town of Shechem. We are a sexually perverse society in which we have taken sexual identity and sex and all these things and these topics and basically just throw them out there to you can do anything you want. Even saw an article this week from a Harvard professor about the, just how horrific this has become and how he was promoting something that would be absolutely condemned with any sense of morality. We live in this kind of time and place. And so this passage speaks to us today. It may speak to you this morning. And so as we walk through our passage this morning, here's what we're going to see. The sexual abuse of Dinah displays the corruption of sin and its deceptive offer to God's people. Now, if you're a disciple today, if you've called the name of Jesus at Covenant Hope, we want to make mature disciples and we want to grow together. And so what should we do? God's people must neither respond to sin with passivity nor rashness, but trust in God's justice. We must not respond to sin with passivity or rashness, but trust in God's justice. You see, trust produces the right action. We don't have the right actions in and of ourselves. The trust in God and his gospel in Christ produces the right action. The reality is, the stats say that there is someone in this room who has been abused sexually. Stats are that you know someone who has been abused sexually. And so we pick up here in the story, Jacob has come into the promised land. We, we, it's so amazing to see God's grace in chapter 33, God's grace in chapter 35. But here in, in, in between those pillars of grace, we see horrific events take place. God has called Jacob to go to Bethel. And last week we saw him stop at Shechem. And now he's, when he stops at Shechem, there's a problem. He doesn't go all the way to Bethel. And so here in our passage this morning, we're going to be confronted with three lies that we are tempted to believe. Three lies that we're tempted to believe. And after we get through the passage, and I want to present us three gospel truths that call us to respond. So three lies we're tempted to believe. Lie number one. Sin doesn't hurt anyone. Sin doesn't hurt anyone. Look there at verse 1 of chapter 34. Leah's daughter Dinah, whom Leah bore to Jacob. If you remember, Dinah was mentioned in the genealogy of the 12 tribes of Israel. And she's the only girl mentioned. And here we are told why. His daughter went out to see some of the young women of the area. Now, she was probably a teenager at this point. I think she is marriable age. And I want you to know that the women of the land are not people that she should be hanging out with. In reality, Jacob should have not stopped at Shechem. He should have went all the way to Bethel. And if you know the story of Ruth, remember Boaz, when Ruth comes to glean from his field, he says, don't go outside of these parameters. You stay with my young men and these young women. Why? Because I can protect you. I've told these men not to touch you, and these women are in my family, and they are going to make sure you are in a safe place. Well, Dinah is not in a safe place. She is in a, in a terrible situation. And although this is not her fault, she now has put herself in the circumstances. Parents, I want you to understand 
You must know what your children are into. You must know what they're up to. Not that you can know everything and not that you can prevent them from sin or getting into trouble or even having accidents. That's not what I'm saying. But you should be vigilant about where your children are. It is our responsibility to know that. I'm not saying to be a helicopter parent. But what I'm saying is you should know. You should have a sense. I can remember uh, when I got my license, my dad would often tell him, I'd tell him where I'm going and he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not really concerned. If you were to go out and go somewhere you weren't supposed to go, you're probably going to be fine. But he said, what if there's that one moment you're on the way to that place you shouldn't be and someone hits you in your car on the way there? What would you do? How are you going to explain that? And so that haunted me. I, I, I knew it. I had to be on the right way, where to go. I, I just, I, it always uh, was a thought in my mind about what if someone else hit me? I know I can drive normal, but what if somebody hits me on the way to that party or something? And so my, that thought has stayed with me even now as I think about my own children. I don't say this to scare you. I say this to, as a parent, you are called to responsibly care for them. And we're going to see Jacob doesn't care for Dinah. And he should have. And he should have known. Dinah is not in a safe place. Look at verse 2. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, remember Deuteronomy that Paul just read for us? This is one of those ancestors of these people that God called Israel to wipe out. Who was the region's chieftain? He, that Hamor was the prince of the land of Canaan, descendant of Ham, which should signal to us a red flag that he is a son of Ham. And look at what he does. He saw her, he took her, and he raped her. He became infatuated with her, with Jacob's daughter, Dinah. He loved the young girl and spoke tenderly to her. Get me this girl as a wife, he told his father. Notice the text draws our attention to the force by which he, he used against Dinah. Look there at those actions. He saw. He took. When was the last time that we saw those two words used together? It was back in Genesis chapter 6 when the sons of God came and took the daughters of man for themselves. They saw that the women were beautiful and they took them. But there's even a place before that. In Genesis chapter 3, what did Eve do when she saw the fruit? It says she saw the fruit, that it was good, delightful, and she took it. Maybe the essence of sin is we see something that is not ours and we take it by force. He objectified Dinah. Shechem forced intimacy and therefore defiling marriage and her. His lust turned into an act of rape. So much so that this act turns into a perverted infatuation with her. And church, I want you to see how sin so perverts someone that they don't see any wrong in what they do. There's no apology. Instead, it's like, hey, I want you. I want to marry you. In his mind, sin doesn't hurt anyone. Sin isn't that bad. Church, we're often, we often think that our sin doesn't hurt anybody. When in fact, it's the people around us that may be hurt the most. And as we continue, I'm, I'm really confused by Jacob. Really confused. Look at verse 5. Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter Dinah. And we're, we aren't sure how he hears. We don't know that. But he should be outraged. But since his sons were with his livestock in the field, he remained silent until they returned. This should shock you. Jacob is not a passive man. We've seen him act over and over and over again. And now he's going to sit back and wait Jacob doesn't care like he should. 
And remember, this is Leah's daughter, the wife that he didn't want. And maybe he didn't love her and didn't care for her like he should have. So that concern is not there. Verse 6, meanwhile, Shechem's father, Hamor, came to speak with Jacob. Jacob doesn't go to his father. Hamor comes to him. Now, Hamor is the Hebrew word for donkey. And so Shechem is the son of a donkey. If you want to go to the King James Version and figure out what that means, you can go do that. But they're making fun of Hamor. Verse 7, Jacob's sons returned from the field when they heard about the incident. They were deeply grieved and were very angry. For Shechem had committed an outrage against Israel by raping Jacob's daughter. And such a thing should not be done. Although Jacob doesn't respond, Moses is underlying for us in this situation, telling us what he thinks. This should have never happened. This is outrageous. It denotes a particularly heinous and willful sin, most of the time sexual in nature. And look at what Hamor says. He said to Jacob's sons, my son Shechem has his heart set on Dinah. You see the the perverted nature of what's happening here in this society. Please give her to him as a wife. There's no remorse. There's no apology. No nothing. Hamor acts like nothing has been done wrong. Church, when we normalize sin, it doesn't look that bad anymore. Well, when when we do it all the time, when it becomes normal, when we say it's okay, then it just begins to be okay. Okay. This happens around us all the time in our commercials, in our movies, in our media, even in our own families. We just make sin look not that bad. And it's not only is it Shechem who is perverted by our sexual nature, it's so of his father. His father should have condemned his son and his actions. But this is how powerful sin is. That it can corrupt not just a family but a whole town as we'll see here in a few minutes. Do not play with sin because it is so powerful. It will corrupt every part of you. We see here the first lie that we're tempted to believe. That sin doesn't hurt anybody. But now we're going to see the second lie that we're tempted to believe. Sin can be covered up. Sin can be covered up. In the midst of his outrage, look at how Hamor tries to buy Jacob off and his sons. Verse 9. Intimacy... Or sorry, intermarry with us. Now remember Deuteronomy 7 we just read. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourself. Hamor wants Jacob to, to let his sons marry into his family. He wants his sons to marry into the Canaanite women. But remember, Abraham had forbidden Isaac to marry any Canaanite woman. And remember Esau, when he marries Canaanite women, it get, makes the lives of Isaac and Rebekah extremely difficult. And so this is not a good thing. And we hear Deuteronomy 7, just like Israel would have. When they hear this story, they know the command, do not intermarry with these people. Why? Because they are going to corrupt you. And look, maybe Hamor's best offer in verse 10. Live with us. The land is before you. Settle here. Move about and acquire property in it. If you intermarry with us, this land is yours. You can permanently dwell here. But isn't this what God had promised Jacob? Isn't this what God's promise was? That there would be land and seed offspring and blessing? The Lord's blessing would be compromised if Jacob were to allow this intermarrying between his family and the Canaanites. Church, do not be fooled into working with people who say they can deliver on God's promises when God is the only one who can. 
Do not be fooled into believing people who say, I can give you everything that God said he would, but quicker. Because they are lying to you. And Shechem gets in on the conversation, verse 11. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, grant me this favor. If I can convince you that it's okay, just do this one thing for me. Again, no apology, no, no remorse, and I'll give you whatever you want. Demand of me a high compensation and a gift, and I'll give you whatever you ask of me. Just give me the girl to be my wife. They wanted to bribe Jacob and the brothers. Uh, they, he wanted to, to just, hey, look, give, give me the normal bribe price and then ask whatever you want on top of that. This was a lucrative offer. I will give you anything you want. Just name your price. And I'm again confused by the lack of action of Jacob, by his passivity. Verse 13, but Jacob's sons answered Shechem. Jacob's authority now is being upended. And we'll see that in the next chapter. They begin to, they begin to talk to the brothers, not to Jacob. And his father Hamor deceitfully, look at this. The sons answered deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. We're going to get a preview. So Moses gives it a little bit of a hint. They're, they're deceitful. The sins of the father are now the sins of the son. Give our sister to an uncircumcised man as a disgrace to us. We will agree with you only on this one condition. If all your males are circumcised as we are, then we will give you our daughters, take your daughters for ourselves, live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. And so the Lord is mentioned nowhere in the chapter. But the only religious thing is the sign of the covenant all the way back in Genesis 17. What is the sign of God's covenant with his people? It's circumcision. And to deceive someone is one thing, but to use God's own covenant to do it is a whole other. They have no intentions of marrying these Canaanite women, which we'll see in a second. But look at this. Verse 18, their words seem good to Hamor and his son Shechem. Shechem gets what he wants. He's willing to harm himself, physically mutilate his body to get a sexual fix. This is how much sin has corrupted him and these people. But I have to ask, at what lengths are you willing to satisfy your own sin? At what lengths are you willing to go to to get your fix? Because that's exactly what we do when we sin. We, we hide it, we cover it up, we think we're by ourselves, we, we think it's okay, we just dismiss it. What lens do you go to cover up your sin? And look at verse 19, the young man did not delay doing this because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. And now he was the, the most important in all his father's family. So Amor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city. So the gate would have been a gathering place for them, and they would have seen uh, lots of people moving about. And so they go to the gate, and they, they begin to, to talk about what, what this offer is. He must get the people to agree so he can marry Dinah. And look at the lengths that he goes to satisfy his own sin. Verse 21. These men are peaceful towards us, they said. This is ironic, and we'll see in a moment. Let them live in our land and move about in it, for indeed they're the region is, is large enough for them. Let's take their daughters as our wives and gain their daughters, uh, give our daughters to them. All right, let them live among us. Let's be one people. 
But the men will agree to live with us and be one people only on this condition. If our men are circumcised as they are, won't their livestock, their possessions, and all their animals become ours? Notice that. Hey, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be really painful. You don't want to do it. But we're going to get all their stuff. So the same offer to Jacob and their sons was the same offer they gave to these men. We can be rich. We can be wealthy. Look at what we can gain if you do this one thing, if you're circumcised. Only let's agree with them and let us live together. I know that I'm asking you to be circumcised, but won't their possessions be ours? And so doing this, Shechem now brings the brings the whole town into danger. It brings th- their judgment onto their people. So when you think sin doesn't hurt anyone, when you think you can cover it up, you actually bring people into the whole judgment situation. In efforts to cover up his sin, Shechem talks to all these men into agreeing to be circumcised, thereby bringing his sin onto them. Sin cannot be covered up. It will be found out. It will hurt those around you. And so church, we've seen two lies that we're tempted to believe that sin doesn't hurt anyone and that it can be covered up. But the third lie that we're tempted to believe is this. Sin can be fixed by us. We're tempted to believe that sin can be fixed by us. So now that all these men in the town are suckered into circumcising themselves, they're all laid up in the bed. Look at verse 24. All the men who had come to the city gates, listened to Amor and his son Shechem, and all those men were circumcised. That was painful. Verse 25, on the third day when it, they were still in pain, this would have been particularly the worst day of the pain. Uh, they, really, they couldn't have moved. I mean, it would, have been, it would have been bad for them. Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Le- Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords, went into the unsuspecting city, and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with their swords, took Dinah from Shechem's house, and went away. Jacob's sons came to the slaughter and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their flocks, herds, donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. They captured all their possessions, dependents, and wives, and plundered everything in the houses. Simon and Levi two of Dinah's brothers, two of the older sons of Jacob, coming into the city. They absolutely wipe it out. They slaughter all the men, and they plunder the city and take the women and the children. They were able to rescue Dinah. It seemed that she was being held there in one of those homes by Shechem, but they go far beyond the call of justice. You see, they take justice into their own hands, and when they do it, it is no longer justice they exact. It is vengeance. Now remember, they used circumcision as a tool to get to really weaken the men of the city so they could come in and do what they wanted to do. I heard a pastor say this week, if circumcision is the sign of the old covenant and baptism is the sign of the new covenant, then the, the deception of the covenant is like using the offer of baptism to drown people. That's what they do. Hey, become one of us. Become a part of our family. And, and we're going to kill you because of what you've done. Now, church, you may know this anger. You may know this rage because of a situation that you've been in or a family member has experienced. 
But this anger boils up into them, and they think they can fix it. They think they can make it right. Church, we're tempted to believe that we are the ones who can fix sin, that we are the ones who can execute justice righteously when we're not. And now we get a peek behind the curtain into why Jacob was so passive. Look at verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simon and Levi, you brought trouble on me, making me odious. He said, you literally make me stink to these people, to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Prezizites, for we are few in number. If they unite against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Jacob is afraid. He's afraid of the repercussions. That's why he doesn't stand up for his daughter. he's left the memory that God is the one who protects him and provides for him, and he's afraid to do the right thing. This rebuke isn't about violent rage and them killing the men or taking for them things that wasn't theirs. This was about him. It was about how it makes him look. This wasn't about his daughter Dinah. This was about his own self-interest. Look at how his sons respond to him in verse 31. But they answered, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Is it okay for him to do that and you do nothing? Father, you should have stood up for our sister. You should have called them to respond and be responsible for what they've done. You did nothing. What a sad and dark story. We get to the end of the story and we don't know who to condemn and who to commend. There are no heroes in the story. And to make matters worse, God is not even mentioned one time. So how should we, how should the church respond to these kinds of horrific, heinous situations? Church number one, we need to take a step back from the story. We need to see its place in the Bible, in the place of Genesis, in the Old Testament, in the whole book of Scripture. And when you look at the story of Genesis, that there aren't many chapters that God has not mentioned. Why is that? Because God is the main character. But here we see the power of sin when God is not around. So it seems that God is not around. We've been learning that it's God who, in his grace, keeps his promise going. And even in the midst of horrific sin, we're going to see here in the next chapter, in the chapters to come, that God is still going to keep his promises He is going to keep his plan of restoration on track. And when we look at the book of Genesis as a whole, we see that Moses provides clues for us to understand this story. When we get there in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is giving blessings out to his children when he is about to pass away. And he provides this verdict about his sons. They're passed over. They don't get the blessing. Simeon and Levi, because of their anger and their violence, the Messiah will not come from their line. And their father looks them in the eyes when he's about to pass away, and he says, may I never get your counsel because of your anger and your violence. And so Moses tells us that what they did was absolutely wrong. What they did was far beyond the call of justice. And the story teaches us that we cannot execute justice righteously on our own. This is why Jesus had to come into the world to redeem us by executing God's justice his way. God sent Christ to live a perfect life, endure the greatest injustice of all time. And it's the gospel that a perfect man being born of a virgin 
fully God, fully man, live a perfect life, had no sin. And yet the Jews offered him up, and in cahoots with the Romans, they killed him. But what they didn't know is it was God's plan that their injustice would actually undo the sin of the world. That Jesus would be buried for three days, but he'd be raised again to new life. That he now stands on the throne as the perfect judge because he didn't stay dead. You see, Jesus is the only answer to corruption and chaos that sin creates. To be honest, church, we we see this right now in the world. We see it in our own culture. If it isn't Christ, it's chaos. If it's not Christ, it's chaos. And we see that chaos blossom and grow here and bear horrific fruit. But it is now the gospel of Jesus that we can believe rightly, to live rightly. That we can experience God's mercy and grace so that we can know what true justice actually is. And so we've seen the destructive power of sin and the lies that it tempts us with. But the gospel tells us of truths to believe. It tells us of truths to believe. And there's three truths that I want us to think about this morning. The first truth that I want you to know is that the gospel calls us to care for the hurting and abused with compassion and grace. Now we read about Dinah and her abuse. We, may, we should be appalled and heartbroken. This should not be easy for us to listen to. And as I told you when I started, the Bible is, it doesn't shy away or gloss over real life horrific sins like this. Instead, God wants us to see the magnitude of sin. He wants us to hate sin. He wants you to hate your sin. And this story is the kind of story that can help us hate our sin. For Dinah, though, and ladies who have been abused before, Jesus provides hope for them. Think about the women that Jesus cared for in his earthly ministry. Sin, especially heinous rape of women, is the reason why Jesus had to come into the world in the first place. That he provides hope and healing to these women. Christ is our example of how we should treat women who are abused. Think of Mary Magdalene. He cares for her and brings her into his group. Think of the woman at the well. Although he speaks truth to her, he calls her out of her sin. And she goes on to share about who Jesus is. Think about the woman caught in adultery. And instead of casting a stone at her and condemning her, he looks out to the crowd and he says, whoever has no sin, you can throw this first stone. Think about Jesus' own mother. Think about what they said about Mary, about what she had to do for Jesus to be born before she was married to Joseph. And think about how he loves his mother. And he asked John, when he's on the cross, he asked John to care for his mother. Jesus offers hope to women who have been abused. He offers hope to you today. If you've been abused, Jesus is the one who offers that hope to you. And he calls his church, us, his people, to respond with compassion and grace. To offer healing, to offer true family. But this brings us to our second truth. The gospel calls us to refuse the offer to downplay or ignore sin. We must not ignore or downplay sin. It's clear that the rape and abuse of Dinah must not be ignored. We can see that from the story, can't we? But as we all know, stories like this get covered up all the time. Stories of horrific sin get downplayed and ignored. We live in a society where sexual sins particularly get downplayed. 
We are not much different than those Canaanites all those years ago. And when a society begins to downplay sexual sin, it's only a matter of time when that women become objectified and abused. We will never be able to confront the injustice of abuse, of sexual abuse, if we do not confront the seriousness of sexual sin. We must teach our children that sex is a gift from God, but only to be experienced in marriage. We must protect our children from the assault that sex is okay, that it's fine for whatever reason. We must condemn things like pornography and the industry behind it because these things begin to just become normal. And as Pastor Ryan prayed, we get desensitized to it. And it just becomes okay. We must be willing to stand up and care for those impacted by sexual sin. For those of us in 2023, whether it's transgender ideology, sexual abuse, or otherwise, Covenant Hope must be a place of healing That the gospel proclaims the truth about sin, our own sin, but provides compassion and grace and ultimately hope in Jesus Christ. We must be willing to do the right thing even when it costs us or hurts our reputation. You see, church, I hear this this all the time. Well, you know, we've we've got got to protect the reputation of the church. We've got to protect the reputation of the gospel. No, we don't. Don't do not be fooled into that lie because that's a lie from the pit of hell. God does not need us to protect his reputation and he does not need us to protect the church. It's been 2,000 years old and it'll be forever old until Jesus comes back. So do not be fooled into believing that you need to protect God's reputation and cover up sin. May we never do that. And may we be so broken by it that we respond by doing the right thing. But what is that right thing? What is the thing that we should do in this moment? Well, it brings us to our third truth. The gospel calls us to trust in God because he produces the right actions for justice. Trust in God because he's the one who produces the right actions for justice. In the first verse of the next chapter, God calls Jacob to go, to go to Bethel. Get out of Shechem. That's what he should have done in the first place. He should have never been there. He should have fully obeyed God's command. Shechem was only halfway. Church, halfway obedience leads us into situations for all the way sin. May we obey God fully. And Jacob shouldn't have been passive. He should have cared for Dinah by holding Shechem accountable. In the Old Testament, it is this idea of an eye for an eye. Not because that's God's perfect standard, but because God was going to limit the injustice or vengeance like this. And so Jacob should have held Shechem responsible for the sins he committed against his daughter. And if he had done that, maybe his sons wouldn't have responded in vengeance and violence. The brothers shouldn't have escalated to such violence when it was Shechem who had been the one who had committed this atrocity of abuse. Their desire for justice was outmatched by their desire for revenge and blood. Church, although we should respond rightly and justly, we are not to fool ourselves to think that we are better than Simeon and Levi. That we could have had a better answer, that we could have executed justice better. Because we couldn't have. Even though the story is dark and saddening, we can see that God's promises are never compromised by sin and injustice, whether from the outside or even from the inside. 
you see, it's Shechem and Hamor and it's Simeon and Levi. And you have the Canaanites and the Israelites fighting, basically. It doesn't take too long in which this kind of sin happens only in Israel. You see, David has a daughter. And he has a son and that son rapes his daughter. It doesn't take any Canaanites. It only takes Israelites, God's people. It doesn't, the sin doesn't happen from out there. It happens in here. Jesus didn't just come to deal with the sins of the world out there. He came particularly to deal with the sins of his people. He came to deal with me and you. And thankfully, God's grace wouldn't let him leave us in our sin. This passage forces us to sit with no care, no solutions. We must infer from the rest of the Bible. You see, there's an absence of justice for Dinah. Dinah does not get justice in this story at all. Yes, she's rescued, but her just, that wasn't justice for her. It makes us cry out and long for true and final justice. You see, there's, there are some things that only God can fix. Whether it's justice in your life or my life. Or, to be honest, the truth is, there may not be justice on this side of Jesus' return for you. There may not be justice for that person who has hurt you until Jesus comes back. But justice is coming. Dinah doesn't experience justice, and she's waiting on God's justice. Our temptation is to try to clean this up and put a nice bow on it. But we lived in a jacked-up world with jacked-up people. Or the only answer is the answer outside this world. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the only answer to this. Isaiah 11. Speaking about this Messiah. This Jesus. Prophesying about who he would be. Let me read a few verses to you. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. That is the house of David. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and strength. A spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will, he will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. This is our Messiah who doesn't need a courtroom and does not need a jury. He can absolutely execute justice because he is justice embodied. Because he is the one who knows. He is the one who cares. He's the one who can bring justice. And so at the end of our story, we're left with a couple ideas. Dinah needs a righteous judge, but there's not one. But we have one, and his name is Jesus. And I want to say this too, not that there would not be repercussions or, or other things, or that Shechem would not be held responsible, but I, want, I do not want to leave this moment without saying Shechem also needs a Savior. He needs to be changed. He needs to repent. He needs to confess his sins. He needs new life, freed from sin and darkness. Freed from his lust. Freed from his desires. Shechem needs a forgiving Savior. And for us today as the church, we need new hearts. We need new hearts. 
that when we come to these stories, we should be broken and we should be, should be sad about it. But it should point us to the fact that there's sin in the world. There's sin in here. There's sin in my own heart. So the point is, is that we all need new hearts and that only comes through Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who can both execute justice and bring us into his family. That Jesus paid for your sin legally before God so that when God sees you, if you submit your life to Jesus, he sees Jesus and not your sin. We need new hearts so that then we can follow Christ and we can pursue him with all that we are and so that we can be a place of healing and hope for anyone who has experienced abuse. In church, although I have not experienced these things, our church up to this point has not experienced these kinds of things, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And may we be a people who love Jesus so deeply and understand the depth of our own sin that we, we offer hope and compassion and grace and kindness. And we hold out the true standard of justice, that it is Jesus on the cross for our sin. And that we may provide a true, a better story than Genesis chapter 34. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, I ask you to help us hate our sin. Would, would we see a story like this and would we just think how awful it is and would we, would we just long for you to remove the sins in our lives? God, but we know until, the, until Christ returns, we will not be fully free of sin. But we have the power in the spirit to walk free of this sin. So may our flesh, may we... Be submissive to the Spirit's power in our lives to bear fruit, to, to bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That those fruit will be so strong in our lives that sin becomes fading until you return. God, will our church be a place of healing and hope? Will we speak the truth even when it costs us? Will we help those even when it's inconvenient? Will we be a church that loves those who have been abused? God, we need you and we ask you to work in our lives. We love you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.